You're listening to the Digital State of Mind podcast with your host, Jessica Hawks, where we get honest about all things entrepreneurship, balancing life and business, and navigating the world in a digital age. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Digital State of Mind. We have a very exciting guest today. We have Alyssa from ATTN Design. Is it ATTN? Close. ATTN. I always like whenever I go to type you in on Instagram, I'm always like, wait, wait, because I always think it's the opposite of what it is. (laughs) But I'm super excited to have you here, Alyssa. We've had so many conversations in DMs about a lot of different things. I don't even remember the first time that we talked. It was a while ago. Oh my gosh, maybe like half a year ago, maybe even like longer than that. Yeah, it was a while ago. We met through uh, Matthew, who used to be my graphic designer, and he's worked with you as well, right? So Mm -hmm. the mutual friends, we were just talking about how uh, meeting people face-to-face on podcasts is like the the old Tumblr days. So uh, I'm really (laughs) excited to dive into everything with you today, Alyssa. I'm going to have you kind of walk through your story. Alyssa is a designer. You're a really good designer. I've, I've been stalking your work for a long time. So I'm going to have you kind of walk through how you got started in the online space because I feel like you have a pretty unique experience and how you got started just to where you are now. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll try and do a, an abridged version. Um, but essentially, I started freelancing when I was like 19, um, when I was like a sophomore in college, just because um, – I had been learning graphic design just on the side for fun and people were willing to pay me money and I like had three minimum wage jobs. So I was like, if I can replace two of those, why not? So I just started freelancing very, very low key style um, for a year as I was in school. Then my junior year, the pandemic hit in March and I no longer had like social groups. I had really nothing to do except just study. And that was like really jarring and scary to me. So I kind of threw myself into the freelancing thing, really wanted to supplement the three jobs that I had lost that were campus jobs. And then um, I was ramping up to a scale in frequency that required me to put in some like legal and financial foundations to protect myself. And that's when it became the studio like six months later, while I was still a junior. But um, from there, I went on Instagram, started posting my things, and when I wanted to ramp up the freelancing, and then through social media, and then through filing for an LLC, and all of that jazz, it became like a a real business by my senior year, and um, I've been doing it, the studio, for like a year-ish now, um, or maybe longer, I've lost track, and I'm doing it full-time, so uh, really unorthodox story, like I've never worked at an agency, I've never... um, you know, gotten like a design degree or anything. I'm completely self-taught and very much like digitally native um, with my business. But um, so yeah, I'm 22 doing that now and we'll probably do it for the foreseeable future. I was going to say, that's why I feel like your story is so unique because usually people either like go to college for it and then are just go straight into the online space or they at least have worked at like some type of agency or something and then they're just over it and want to switch to the online space. I feel like it's really rare that people don't 
go to college for design and also don't work in the design like corporate world before they actually switch into the online space. So you just like went straight into it. What, how did you like figure out that there was a need for that online? I think I didn't even realize it was a thing. I kind of just like started posting my stuff on Instagram, not even realizing there was a community there. I kind of just like started treating it like I would like a personal Instagram. And then I started meeting real people, started to like follow people in the community and actually realize there's like a really tight knit um, kind of group there. And then realizing that there's strategy involved, that there's a necessity that, that you can find clients on there. So through social media, I realized that it was something I could do like full time as like a real job. Um, because before I kind of thought freelancing was just something people did on the side. I didn't realize that freelancing was like a full career. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's really through social media that I like discovered all of these things about industry that I had never known because my degree is in English literature, which is completely irrelevant to what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I felt like completely unqualified, but the community I'd say on Instagram allowed me to kind of see the potential in that, especially talking to so many people who were freelancing full time and seeing that they were doing really well. That I guess made me a little brave and like helped me make the jump. Mm -hmm. And when you were going to college for English literature, did you, were you, was that something that you kind of just defaulted to, or was that something that you were wanting to have a career in originally? Yes, yeah, so I was actually pre-med for a while, which is like the oh funniest thing to start in. <laughs> so intense. I know. it was. I only did it for about six months, and then I kind of realized that I prefer to use a more creative side of my brain, even though like science was fun and everything. Um, and so I was undecided for a long time, but I'm a big bookworm. I've always loved um, books and literature since I was a kid, and um, I realized a lot of my classes I had taken as like extracurriculars and, and supplements ended up allowing me to be qualified for the English degree. And um, a big interest of mine is like critical race theory and marginalized groups, which is like informed my work currently. And the English degree allowed me to incorporate a lot of those interests into the actual major. So it wasn't something I intended in having a career in. And I never really saw myself being like a professor of English or being, you know, a theorist or anything. But I just felt like I should just study something that makes me excited to learn. And that was kind of the main subject that I could come up with. Um, But I think it also has a lot of real world applications, especially now with the work I'm doing with like women of color and like other marginalized groups in business the literature aspect and like working with like non-white authors really helped me a lot. So um, kind of irrelevant, but also sort of relevant at the same time. Yeah. It's so, I feel like it's so interesting because I know people who have like gone to college for theater or something like that. And now they're in finance or, you know, are, are educating people about that in the online space. And even though it's not, wasn't directly related. There's still like so many skills that they take from that and then are able to apply in their field now, which is really interesting. But I did want to kind of go back to something you just said about working with um, specifically women of color. I feel like that's, or do you feel like in the online space, it's so much easier to kind of merge those two things that you're passionate about versus being in the corporate world? I mean, I know that you were mentioning you didn't like start out at an agency in the corporate space, but I'm sure you're familiar with that side of things as well. So what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I think the fact that I own the business and 
I can reach people in different parts of the world that you maybe wouldn't be able to reach with like an in-person corporation is like really fueled my ability to reach that demographic, like women of color. Um, Mm -hmm. I did apply to a lot of agencies and a lot of design positions before I decided to go full time with the business. And my qualm with all of those positions was that I had almost no control over what projects I would be able to work with. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, most major branding agencies and studios are predominantly like white owned and operated Mm -hmm. and aren't necessarily catering to the demographic that I wanted to work with. And so, um, a big factor in my decision to not go corporate because I easily could have kept applying. Uh, but my main motivation for like, you know, steering clear and deciding to go full time with my studio was because of that ability to reach the demographic that I wanted, which is only really possible through the Instagram audience that I've like specifically curated to reach women of color. Um, so yeah, that, that was my biggest issue with the corporate world is that like, you get almost no say if you have like if you're a designer with a mission or a designer with specific values. You almost get no say in the execution of that when you work for an agency that might have different values from you. So that was my biggest thing. Yeah, I, it seems like there's a lot of people who, even if they're not in necessarily the design world, but no matter whether it's marketing or you know whatever it is in the corporate mm-hmm. space, it there's almost this like catch 22 of being able to do something that you really love, but then potentially getting put on projects where you're like, okay, I don't really support this. I don't support this, this company that we're working with, or I don't support what they stand for, but I'm in this weird position where I either have to do this thing that I love and make money, or I have to stand up to these people and risk getting fired for, Mm -hmm. for refusing to do this. Yeah, it's a really tricky situation, especially when you enter as like a, a entry level designer, because mm-hmm. you don't want to create a, a reputation that you're like finicky or that you're like yeah. hard to work with. But at the same time, if you know you have these like resolute values, like if I don't want to work with a company, for example, that's like investing in the war, which is things mm-hmm. like that, or if I don't want to work with a company yeah. that, you know, is, um, you know, like fat phobic, things like that, things that I... Mm-hmm actually encountered when I was researching agencies I in my mind I was like I don't know that I would have like the guts to necessarily say no but I would know that I wouldn't feel proud putting that on my portfolio so what's the point um right so yeah it was a weird situation to think about when I was like 21 at the time um something that I had to consider that I'm sure a lot of people who are deep in their careers also have to face and they don't really have the freedom to like back out like I did Right. And it's, yeah, there's so much pressure too, from, because you've gone to college, even though you went for like English literature, there's, I'm sure a lot of people who are like going to design school and are just wanting anything that they're able to get, because it seems like, the, and we are both in the online space and I didn't really work in the marketing world in the corporate space either, but it seems like there's so much competitiveness and so much less of like a community aspect in the corporate side of all of these things that we do online as opposed to, you know, I feel like there's a a big sense of community in the online business space. Obviously, there's, you know, always going to be little random things or kind of tiffs that people have. But overall, it seems like people are really supportive of each other as opposed to that kind of competitiveness or cattiness that you tend to see in the corporate space. Do you feel like whenever you kind of started on social media, it was a very welcoming experience versus that kind of anxiety you get in the corporate space? Oh, 100%. Like some of the first 
friends that I had made um, are some of my closest friends now. Mm -hmm. Um, And that I started like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And so, um, and then like half of the advice or half of the things that I know about like business, about design, about client experience has come from like free things that people post on their profiles or provided Mm -hmm. through their resources or have directly told me through DMs. Whereas um, I did have a bit of experience in the corporate side. I did an internship at Ralph Lauren in marketing. Mm-hmm. And um, I've also worked with like a, a nonprofit before. And it's totally like you said, it's very much like a ladder. You think of like yourself mm-hmm. in relation above and below other people mm-hmm. versus on the internet. It feels more like a web, like being connected to this person could lead to mm-hmm. this. And you never think of it as like a like stepping on other people. It's more of like a linking arm situation. So I think just like the nature of online business too, like there's not really a hierarchy. No one like, there's not really a way to like be above somebody else online. Whereas Mm -hmm. like in a corporation, it's so hierarchical that it's like, you know, you can't exist without someone below you or above you. And so it's it's kind of toxic in that regard. Yeah, that is so true. And when you came into the online space and started freelancing, had you always been interested in design or was that something that kind of started after graduating college? Um, I have always kind of been interested in design, but not necessarily like branding design and not necessarily like consumer facing design. I did a bunch of, I started freelancing because I made like stickers and like graphics for different student groups on campus. I did some like illustration work and like just really miscellaneous stuff. Um, it wasn't until the pandemic that I'd gotten like a major branding um, design client. And then from there, I recognized that that's what I wanted to do. Um, but I honestly wouldn't have known that there were different design um niches until like Instagram I kind of thought everyone just kind of did whatever and um but now that I'm in branding design it's definitely like what I want to do but um it's kind of crazy that I kind of owe all of that specialization from just like Instagram (laughs) um I know (laughs) but yeah yeah I um never really knew that's what I wanted to do as a career until I don't know maybe like two or three months before graduating which was kind of scary but Mm-hmm. Um, I don't regret it at all, though. Yeah. That's, and with, I feel like there's so, with a lot of people coming into the online space, there's so much debate around whether you should name your business your name or <laughs> something that's a business name. I would like to know, is, is ATNN your like initials or part of your name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are my initials. Okay. So what was your, like your thought process behind it? Because I feel like that is like, it seems like such a small thing, but it's something that holds so many people back because you feel like you're making a decision that's going to stick with you for like a decade. Yeah. I struggled with this so much. I've worked with numerous copywriters on like coming up with different names, but um, I decided, and I actually just started working with a copywriter like four months ago and we like revisited Mm -hmm. that question. But at the end of the day, I think like I stuck with ATN and um, because it's like I think the core of my business is like the story aspect, and it's that like yeah. I started it as a woman of color for a woman of color, and um, I also would say like most of my marketing and a lot of of my presence is kind of around me, even though I have other people in the business. I think it's always going to be like that, and mm-hmm. so I decided to keep it. Um, but I think it totally depends on how central you want to be in mm-hmm. your business like for you for example you have different names for your businesses but they're kind of under like the Jess Hawks like umbrella mm-hmm. because you are kind you are kind of like the spoke of the wheel mm-hmm. and that's how I feel about my business but if that's not 
you or you want to take a hands-off approach in the future, I feel like it's smarter to do um, a, a less personalized name. But also the the gravity of trying to pick some studio name that wasn't my my name was so daunting. We probably went through like I 50 know. drafts just for me to scrap it all and just go back to my initials. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's a weird debate. Um, I think it just all depends on how central you as a person want to be in like all future relations. Um, I'm a Leo son, so I was totally fine with being the center of that for forever, but <laughs> <laughs> it just depends, I think. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I just came to realize this with like one of the last projects I was working on. I didn't know that copywriters offered like naming, um, I don't know what you would call it, naming packages for this specifically mm-hmm. because people struggle with it so much, but they're just like brainstorming all these random words and you're like, yep, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those words sound good together. It's, yeah, it's such such a daunting task. I'm glad that I didn't have to to deal with that one whenever I was first starting because I feel like it would have held me back. Um, but kind of similar to that, I feel like you have a very unique design style. I use your filter on Instagram all the time. <laughs> it's so <laughs> colorful. But I feel like it's very different than whenever I entered the online space, there was like, so it was all about the neutrals and like super, you know, low key and like the reds and creams and all of that. That was just what was super popular at the time. And I don't, Mm -hmm. maybe it just wasn't what I was like surrounded by, but I didn't see a ton of like the colorful elements or different shapes and like such intense pops of color, which I love. And I feel like you, that is like your entire brand, did that change from whenever you first started or was that kind of what you initially were drawn to? And I know you also mentioned like how branding or designing for women of color plays such a huge part into your brand. Did that, or does that play into the type of branding that you do now? Yeah. So I, when I first started, like first started posting on Instagram in 2020, I honestly had no aesthetic. Um, and I joke about that. I had like a TikTok that blew up that like where I just roast my old designs. I didn't really have a cohesive identity yet. And I think that's totally fine to like not have one starting out. But it wasn't until I like allowed myself to design for me and not for anybody or not for a specific aesthetic that mine kind of came out of that. Um, and I'm just really attracted to color. I like for some reason, like I did, it just comes to me, um, creating color palettes. That's like my strongest suit, I would say is the color portion. And luckily that's become part of my brand. Um, but I think it's also come about because I've worked with so many different women of color owned businesses where they felt strong armed by like what the idea of like what luxury looks like or what does a, what does like an African based brand look like? And some of many of them are pigeonholed by, like Cantu based um, colors or like colors that are based off of like melanin shades or Mm -hmm. um, the luxury space is so like black and white or Mm -hmm. um, it's just very like Eurocentric. And so through working with them and knowing that we wanted to break from that, the biggest thing that was different was like color and like fun. Um, I think there's like this idea that women of color owned businesses in order to be taken seriously have to be branded as a serious business, which isn't really fair. And so we wanted to, a lot of my earlier clients, we wanted to break that and show that you could be fun and, but also other things and also a serious business. And through that, I expressed it in color with shapes, with like fun fonts and layouts and things. And then I became known for that, I think. And then 
Mm-hmm. It's great that clients who like my design style now that it's very natural to me come to me. And so it's just become this like really reinforced thing over time. Yeah. And it seems like it's, I think that that's so cool that it is kind of seeming to change a little bit in the online space of what you were saying is deemed as like professional or luxury. It is mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the black and white, that's like always what you see. And you don't really see like the fun fonts and things like that. Do you feel like there's kind of a like total shift happening? That's like, okay, these things can coexist. Like you can be luxury or professional and also, you know, use these fonts or these colors or say these things or show up in this way. Do you feel like the online space has shifted in that sense since you first started? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think that um, TikTok honestly has played a big role in that. I asked like the idea that you can show up on video and that you yeah. can be like funny and still be professional is really big. I think that was something that unlocked a big personality for me because I really like to make jokes, but for a long time, my Instagram profile lacked all personality because I, yeah. I wasn't sure if it was professional or not. But then TikTok and then like, you know, doing trends, doing audios, allowed me to kind of be goofy on my profile, Mm -hmm. but I still, I don't feel like there's been any difference in how serious my clients take me, which has been really nice. Um, And then also the emergence, a lot of like Gen Z brands, like Mm -hmm. like, not even Gen Z, but just like new age brands like Telfar, for example, and Topicals. And um, they just made being edgy and different and fun, um, like um, tied, I guess, or, or, coincidental with being successful because they're such Mm -hmm. successful brands so I just don't think that there's that prejudice anymore against color and against fun um like there used to be maybe like last year or two years ago Mm -hmm. um I still think that like unfortunately like the luxury look still is dominated by that like very neutral very clean aesthetic but I think it's changing um and I think in the next five years we're gonna see like a completely different kind of association with that word, but it's changing slowly. And I like, am excited for like, so my clients to be part of that change and to see it happening. Um, but yeah, I think it's happening slowly, but surely things just changing constantly. Yeah. And do you feel like, I don't know exactly how to word this, but do you feel as a designer, like a sense of obligation to kind of be on top of what's trendy or to be like creating those trends I noticed that with like photographers I've worked with or you know any type of creative it's there's always this like this struggle between not wanting to be too trendy that your you know photos or your designs or whatever are gonna kind of be irrelevant in a few months but also it's super difficult to be able to like predict what trends are going to be in the future because also they're changing so quickly now Mm -hmm. so what's your view on that or do you kind of feel like you stick to more of like what your core design is yeah I think that my design style is pretty consistent now but it is rooted in some way or heavily influenced by the trends that I've seen and experienced over the past two years but I wouldn't say I like design for trends that are current, if that makes sense. Um, so it's like I'm 
my design style is informed by like what's been popular, but I don't like design for what's popular, if that makes sense. So I don't necessarily try to predict trends or create trends or be trendy at the moment. I try and just design to what feels relevant and appropriate for the brand, which depending on the trendiness of the brand or the cultural relevance of the brand with pop culture will require different variations of like, of trendiness. Um, But Luckily, I would say that a lot of my clients are kind of on the pulse of things and their taste is pretty like modern and contemporary, but I wouldn't say that I like look for like what types of fonts and colors are trending. I kind of just do my own thing and they happened to coincide with kind of like what's popular. Um, but that does make me nervous all the time. Like I'm always trying to make sure that the brands that I design are like long lasting. They're not going to have to rebrand in two years. So it is always a, like a balancing act, but um What's helped me is I just kind of designed a vacuum. I like stop looking at Pinterest and stop looking at um, yeah. other designers' work when I design. I only look at like photography or I look at like mm-hmm. fashion or architecture for inspiration rather than like people's designs anymore because I felt like that was making me too reliant on like what other people were doing. And that's how you can kind of create a um, like a, a brand with an expiration date. So that's what I do now. But it's a scary thing for sure. Uh, yeah, it is. And that's, I don't know how people like there, I see TikTok videos of people like trend forecasting and I'm like, how does your brain work like this? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I have no ability to know what is going to be happening <laughs> next because something, it's just like immediately on you and then everything's sold out or this one thing is super popular. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize this was happening. So I don't know how people are able to like, look into that and forecast what's going to be happening for the next year. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they honestly can make a really good killing out of that if they'd start doing yeah. trend forecasting for design and like yeah. sold that information to designers. But <laughs> um, that's your trends- next business venture. <laughs> oh gosh, trends scare me honestly. Um, yeah, because it just moves faster and faster, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I think they're almost like especially with fashion, at least like micro trends and things like that, they can actually be like really harmful for creatives. Like Mm -hmm. it makes you feel like you're never on top of things and which is a really scary feeling to have on top of like all the other feelings that designers Mm -hmm. go through. So I'm, I try to like steer clear of wanting to be trendy because I honestly, my anxiety can't take it, but (laughs) it's just too much work too. Yeah. It's so it's, it really is. And I don't know if you even specifically with like fashion too, it's, scary how influenced we are like I don't know if you remember those necklaces that were like super popular last summer I guess they kind of still are like a little bit like I see them at random stores and I'm like is this still popular or are you like just now catching up to this but like the ones with pearls and like smiley face yeah the beads Mm -hmm. I remember there was this one brand selling them I like saw someone wearing it on TikTok and I was like that's so cute and I saw this brand selling them for like $300 and then I ended up like going to Michael's and getting stuff to make all of these I wore them for like a week probably and I haven't touched them since so I'm like thank Mm -hmm. god I didn't just spend $300 on something that was going to be probably donated or end up in you know a landfill or something in the future Mm -hmm. it's scary how quickly we at this point are consuming and you can get so wrapped up in it and then you're just like wasting so many clothes that you have because they're out of out of style now yeah a hundred percent I think that's like the same thing with design can be true I mean what I do when I see something like on TikTok that I want to buy I like 
save it to my folder and then I like think on it for a week before I actually mm-hmm. buy it. And there's a really yeah. good chance that by the end of the week, the desire is gone. Um, that's kind of why I used to do these like brand in a day packages where I would design mm-hmm. like your entire brand in two days. But I stopped doing that because I realized that a lot of my creative impulses would come out in the first two days but then over like the three weeks that we would develop the rest of the brand I would recognize or tweak things and realize that like certain things weren't going to be long lasting or certain things were going to be outdated really soon so I think that with trends the way to combat that is to like give yourself time when you're deciding whether or not to go forward with something that's trending um because uh, if I like something from day one to like day like 28 of making a brand there's a really good chance that it's like integral to the strategy versus if I just make it like day one and I just stick with it there's a good chance that like it was kind of just what I saw that day and not maybe what's appropriate for the brand and so same thing with shopping I try and like make myself sit with it decide if I want it or if it's just like an impulse buy yeah so with trends like that's how I try and combat it but it's hard. TikTok is so influential. I mean, they got me to spend a lot of money like those influencers. <laughs> I know. Once you're, uh, once you're, oh, my dog is going crazy. <laughs> What's your most recent TikTok impulse buy? I saw these like, you know, the skims, so like boxer brief shorts. Have yep. you seen those? Yeah. I like, I started recently wearing some of my jeans, like low rise. Um, and I saw on TikTok, this girl like wore them underneath the low rise, so they're peeking out. Yeah, they're so cute. So I like just ordered some. Unfortunately, I want to. I want to <laughs> do that so bad. The like low rise with the boxers peeking out, but I like yeah. only have high waisted jeans. So I'm like, how is this gonna work when my jeans are like right at my ribs anyway? Yeah. It's just like no way for it to work out. <laughs> I recently went thrifting, and I guess like Levi's sizing is like changes every like five years or something. So this pair that I bought, which is looks like it's from like the 80s or 90s. I bought it in my size to be high rise and I get they ended up being like so big but it's fine I just roll yeah I just roll or maybe they're like men's jeans I don't know Uh, there's something going on that's funny so (laughs) I just so unpredictable so unpredictable so that was my bad but they're like ten dollars and I love thrifting so instead of returning them I just rolled the hem and now I'm gonna like wait for my little skims boxers to come in and then it'll be a look but until then, I'm yeah. just kind of showing, like, 10 inches of stomach right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're just throwing it back to the 2000s. Was it 90? Yeah, 2000s were low-rise. I can't believe mm-hmm. that low-rise is coming back. This is, like, such a tangent. But the the amount that it was hated on, and now everybody's like, yeah, it's, like, really cool. I'm just like, oh, my God. Everything is so cyclical. Everything is. I know. I was just, I just made a TikTok earlier about like how headbands are back. I'm wearing one right now. Yes. The last time I wore a headband, I was like 14. So Uh (laughs) I literally just bought one the other day and I didn't realize I like, I just saw it online and I was like, that's so cute. It had like cherries on it and I got it and it was like, you can't see if you're listening, but it was like three inches off of my head. Like it was one that was really thick and I was Mm -hmm. like, um, I don't think I can do this, <laughs> but I want to find one that actually works. So I wanted to mention something that you said earlier about how you look to like fashion and architecture and things like that, that are very, I guess, 
stabilized would be Mm -hmm. the word I would use for it um, to kind of inspire you for design. I think that this is such, that's such a good tip and something that's really cool for anyone who is like in the online space or even as a service provider, because like you said, whenever you start looking to other people, it's so easy to not only be like influenced or feel like you're not keeping up, but also to start comparing yourself to them. And you get into this cycle of never being kind of forward because you're always trying to just follow them. And I think it's really cool. Even if you are like, for example, someone who does marketing for, you know, interior designers to, instead of looking at other marketers for interior designers to like pick up an interior design magazine and see what they're talking about or see what, you know, the struggles are or things that they're facing because you get such an interesting perspective. So I love that that is something that you do too with your design. Yeah, I've also I like struggle with imposter syndrome too. And so not consuming other people's designs all day every day has been really helpful for me. Um, because I used to like scroll on Pinterest and save designs that were cool. And then think to myself like, oh, I would never be able to come up with like a layout like that. Or like, I wouldn't even know how to like do this in Photoshop, like this cool effect. And that can be really bad for your mental health as a designer, just constantly thinking of things that you can't do. So instead, I kind of try and like gas myself up by by mm-hmm. just creating really beautiful boards of like photography and um, yeah. other creative outlets that I really enjoy and like letting myself just like create from scratch, um, kind of like in a vacuum, but just taking those like non-design or like non-graphic design stuff related things. It's been huge for my mental health, I would say, because it's yeah. like I'll walk away from designing knowing that like that design was produced by me and not by like a million people I can't credit, if that makes sense. Right. Um, and also, like, I've limited how much I, like, scroll on Instagram, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I stopped saving people's posts, which I know is, like, mm-hmm. good for the algorithm. I like to support my friends in that way. But mm-hmm. I used to use saving posts as, like, a crutch for designs. And now I'm yeah. trying to, like, just appreciate what people create, but not necessarily, like, always tie it back to myself. So right. that's a big thing because, like, imposter syndrome has never gotten easier for me. Um, even though it's been two years. So that's like the only thing that's like kind of marginally helped so far. Yeah. I think you were also mentioning earlier how um, you feel like you're so centralized to your brand and you're kind of the face of it. This is like totally a topic that I wanted to dive in with you because there is such a weird balance of wanting to kind of protect your own mind and protect your life and have some sort some sense of like sacredness to it I guess to Mm -hmm. like holding some privacy but it's so difficult to do that when you feel like people are coming to your page for you and obviously your you know whatever business endeavor you're going on is super important but you are the face of it and you are at the end of the day what people are connecting to so What are your thoughts on that? I know that you've kind of, I've seen like on your stories, you've like taken breaks and do you feel like you've kind of gotten better over time at doing that and kind of taking breaks in the moment instead of letting that build up to the point where you're like, oh my God, I'm so burnt out. I can't show up at all for a month. Yeah, I think um, that's a really good question. I've really had to sit down and rethink about like my priorities or like what my goals are with being the face of the brand or being on social media so much just like as me as a person I think before or like a while ago I thought of it as like 
marketing. And so like I show up for the sake of my brand, for the sake of the business. And if I don't show up, then my engagement goes down. And I think my, my, the way I thought about it was wrong. Now I honestly show up when I like want to be present. Like when I'm in a mood to engage meaningfully, like I, I have something to say or I have something to share or um, when I'm in the mood to really like be in the community, I don't just like show up to show up anymore. And that's been big for me. Um, because I also feel like if I don't show up, it's not like that, like hurting my business at all. Um, mm-hmm. I think it only is additive rather than subtractive like I used to. So I think like re-evaluating like what you're trying to get out of showing up has really helped mm-hmm. me. I don't think of it as like tied to money or tied to like business anymore. It's more tied to like connection and like fun. And like I whenever I'm in the mood and I think it's fun to go on social media, then I will. But when it's not fun for me, I, I just don't show up and... I don't necessarily tie it to consequences anymore, um, which has been really nice. Um, I think like once you start looking at Instagram as kind of like more community based rather than like marketing or money based, that takes a lot of pressure off. It removes a lot of like tangible consequences that people may imagine for themselves. Um, And yeah, but I'm also a big overshare. I love going on social media. So maybe that's also different, but um, it's helped me a lot though, to kind of like stop thinking of it as this like really serious business arm and just kind of as this like fun thing that I can just do whenever. Yeah, I I love that. And it's, it is really interesting to see how people respond when you show up in that way. Um, I like lately, I've been posting a lot more about like random things that are not related to my business at all, but are like beauty related or just something that's fun to me. And Mm -hmm. the engagement that you get when you do that and people can tell that you are like wanting to show up and are excited about this thing and are showing your personality is crazy compared to when you're like, okay, I feel obligated to show up. So I'm going to do it and I'm going to talk about these things, but my heart's not in it right Mm -hmm. now. And then you get like no responses and you're like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So it is interesting how people can totally perceive that and that community is still there and even actually is more so there when you're showing up for fun and because you want to do it instead of feeling like you have to. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I do this. I mean, I think you're on it, right? Like my close friend story. I'm yeah. on there a lot more than I am my public story, but um, I like for the people listening, I like talk about like my dating life <laughs> on yeah. there, which is hilarious because it's like, these are like, this is my business account, but it's, doing things like that. Like I have, I do close friend stories about like my outfits, about like, I do like a get ready with me. Like I do my makeup while talking about dating and like I update people on my dates after every time I go on one. It's like, I stopped thinking of my, my account as like my business account. I started thinking of it more as like my community account and doing stuff like that is what makes me excited. And so like, I I have found that sharing parts that I want to share people are really willing to and like happy to accept it. But if there's something I don't want to share, people aren't like expecting for me to do that. Like no one's demanded that I update them on like my dating or no one demands yeah. to know more or things like that. Everyone's very respectful yeah. and it's so fun. I'm, I'm demanding it right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think I messaged you one time and I was like, you need to have a Netflix show. Like I literally, it was, <laughs> there was a point where you were like posting about it really frequently. And I literally would like wait until the end of the day when I was doing like my skincare. <laughs> and I would just have the phone like sitting on my counter and be listening to it. Like it was a podcast while I did my skincare. Cause I was like, this is so fascinating to me. Like the, <laughs> The dating scene like because you moved to New York recently mm-hmm. right 
it was how long when it was not that long ago right yeah like eight nine months I moved here in August oh my gosh I feel like it was not even that long ago that is crazy so that's yeah it, it was just so interesting to me I I love I love your your close friend I'm honored to be on it <laughs> so with that move to New York do you feel like that like what was that move like and I wanted wanted to ask if it has impacted like your business and then if it's also impacted your mental health as well. Yeah, it's honestly been like my favorite thing or decision that I've made in a really long time to move here because like, realistically, um, because it's like completely digital, I could live anywhere. I could have like moved right. back home to Florida and saved a lot of money or I could have moved somewhere much cheaper or whatever. But I chose New York because I just felt like it had the lifestyle that I wanted. Um, and I think that it's helped me a lot with my business with regards to work-life balance. Um, before when I was doing um, the studio alongside a full-time like undergrad mm-hmm. situation. I was so burnt out. I was working at like 2 a.m. sometimes like answering emails during class. It was just not, I had no balance. And so my relationship to the studio was kind of toxic in the sense that it was like my free time belonged to the studio. Like anytime that I wasn't studying, it was just studio time. Now that it's my full-time job and I'm like in the city and I have like things that I want to do in the evenings, during the weekends, I, it's like a great motivator to like set boundaries with myself, with my clients, with scheduling. Um, I no longer take calls anytime, any day. I like set days where I like allow myself to do calls. I like plan co-working days a lot more often. I just, because living in the city, um, or one, it's more expensive, but also it's just more exciting. It makes yeah. me want to be away from my computer a lot more versus like before when I lived elsewhere, it was like, there's nothing really better to do than I so I'll just stay in my room and work. So that's helped me a lot. And then with regards to my mental health, like well, one balancing having a life outside of work has been huge for me. <laughs> but also, um, I think I, I just get so much like creative stimuli in the city, just like walking around like people's outfits, just like street yeah. posters, um, literally anywhere, like like um, storefronts. And I think it's nice to be creatively stimulated outside of the idea of work. It's like I get to um, feel creative. I get to, you know, meet people, experience things outside of like a screen. And that's been really helpful for me because um, a lot of my experiences with people over the past year, like because of the pandemic, have just been through like DMs, which is like fine. But it's also been really nice to remember that there's like a world out there. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) and so um, moving here and the lifestyle here and the pace has like helped me so much. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm very, very grateful that I had like the resources and ability to move here, but it's helped me more than I ever thought it could. Yeah. That's what you said about being inspired. I think that as a designer, that would be so important. I'm not like, I feel like I'm creative in what I do for my business, but Mm -hmm. just like design wise, things like that. Artistically, I'm not super creative, but it's so funny because like I live in South Carolina. So it's probably similar to like your experience in your hometown in Florida, but here you wear like Doc Martens or something and people are like oh my god you're like so edgy and you feel like you are like dressed cute and then you go somewhere like New York and you're like wow I literally there's always going to be someone dressed way better than you on every single street (laughs) it is it is really funny to see the the difference in like design and I feel like just the entire energy of places like that are so different than 
places like South Carolina or Florida. Obviously, they both have pros and cons, but I feel like that would be a really cool change of pace if you were in a creative field like you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also say, too, that not that external validation is important at all, but where I was prior to New York, which was New Jersey, and then in my hometown, like when I tell people what I do, the reaction is a lot different from the one I get in New York. Like I think the creative services and freelancing and entrepreneurship are so much more common in New York and people understand the gravity of it that when I tell people what I do, um, I don't feel like I have to like narrow it down or like dumb it down in a way Mm -hmm. that reduces like the actual like, um, expansiveness of the business and people really like understand it or impressed by it here whereas I've had to struggle with that where I'd be like oh I'm just a graphic designer or like oh I'm a freelancer mm-hmm. when the reality is like I own a business yeah. and I do this like really cool thing um so in New York I've found that there's more acceptance more kind of like excitement about what I do which makes me mm-hmm. more excited to talk about it to like be yeah. less shy about it and I'm not so I'm not so embarrassed that I'm like making TikToks all the time I'm not so embarrassed that I'm self-promoting anymore because like everyone does it here whereas yeah. like maybe in, in Florida I did feel a bit like out of place um mm-hmm. but so that's been helpful for me to kind of just like do like I don't give a heck attitude and just like do what I want because that's what everyone's doing here right yeah it is it's so uncommon in smaller places like this to have a business and people just don't get it like I found myself doing the same thing and I'm sure a lot of this honestly has to do with the fact that we're women and whenever Mm -hmm. someone asks you a question like that it's so like natural because of all of these societal things to be like oh yeah I just work online and I found myself saying that to people so much and then I was like okay, I really need to reframe that to I own a business online instead of just saying, oh yeah, I work online, hoping nobody will ask me about it and that I'll have to explain it further because I know that they won't get it anyway, most likely. Mm-hmm. So I, it would probably, I'm sure it's so refreshing to be in a place where people are like, you don't have to, like you said, make it come across as though it's less valid than it actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been really helpful because I experienced a lot of um, insecurity post-grad like with my degree and like going to university a lot of people associate with like a lot of prestige or whatever and I also I am in a second generation an Asian American family so there's a lot of pressure for me to like graduate from school with like this really good job like quote good job and so I felt a lot of insecurity with being like just this or just that but I think that um, I had to talk myself into the position like that I'm in now for my own happiness, but I always kind of right. felt that air of like, oh, it's not really impressive that I've done this. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. not that like not that you should rely on the other people's opinions, you know, to to validate what yeah. you do. But it has been really nice, like when I meet people and in the city receiving mm-hmm. that like that generally really excited reaction to when I tell them what I do. Mm-hmm. It's it's been really like it's been nice. It's versus the like the inverse, you know, versus people are like, yeah. oh, oh, sure. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool or something. It's just nice yeah. to get that reaction and, and um it's been helpful. And also I meet so many more creatives too in the city yeah. than any other place in the world. And that's been really fun. Um yeah. to just be surrounded by people who are like going through what you're going through. Yeah. It's always nice to be understood. 
Just yeah. Like, okay, you get it. I don't have to explain all of this to you and what it means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so with it, in regards to kind of talking about like how it's affected your mental health and stuff like that, whenever you, I know, like you said, you have, you said you're an oversharer, but I mm-hmm. love the fact that you're really vulnerable and kind of open about talking about things online, on your stories, on your feed. I feel like it's something that so many of us don't do because we... I, I know that I've felt this. I've felt sometimes like, oh, I don't want to share this because I don't want it to come across as weak or whatever, even though that's totally not what it is. And mm-hmm. we 100% should talk about it more. So that's something that I've been working on. Um, but whenever you are having those days where you're like, okay, I just am not feeling it. I'm really down. Um, do you feel like you at this point in your business have gotten to the point where you're like, okay, I am going to take the day off. I'm going to kind of take care of myself in this way. Or do you kind of push through it? Like what's the balance of those two? Yeah, I, well, one, I have kind of built in these like mental health buffers in all of my project schedules, knowing myself at this point that I do have mental health days, like sick days, um, you know, probably once every other week. And it's not that I'm like, you know, catatonically depressed. I sometimes it's just, I'm just having a bad day or like, you know, I do feel depressed that day and I could work, but I also could, you know, take time to myself. So rather than treating it as like this, this, you know, big threshold, like, am I too depressed to work? Yes or no. I kind of just built in a bit of extra time, like a couple extra days with all of my deadlines always. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just encourages me to like, maybe like sign off from work at 2 PM rather than like 5 PM for like one or two days a week. Or it, it allows me to, um, if something's frustrating me or something's not clicking, I just like do something else or I can just, um, start work later in the day if I need to sleep in and just I've built in that kind of mental health awareness of myself into how I operate my business and that's helped me so much I think like giving yourself a day off for mental health seems really serious like it it takes a lot of self-awareness to be like mm-hmm. I need a mental health day so the, the good thing about being your own business owner is like you don't have to call it that you can literally just build in these like small breaks that don't necessarily like need to be triggered by like strong mental health, you know, necessity. Um, Cause I think it's really hard to like s- s- tell ourselves like, Oh, I'm like too depressed to work today. That's like something that I don't really, I mean, I personally don't ever like wake up and think that, but yeah. I, I see the extra gap in my schedule and I like subconsciously think like, Oh, I could probably go walk, take a walk or something instead of sitting here sulking. And that's helpful to me. So yeah, that's a tip for people um, if you don't necessarily have the awareness, like, like I don't to be like, yeah. Oh, I need 24 hours and like X, X, Y, Z. And you have to go through the work of like notifying all your clients and whoever you work with that you're taking a day off mm-hmm. building it in is just like easier and less intense. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. Cause I'm very similar to you where the thought of having to do that and having to cancel calls or cancel things is almost more daunting in that moment than whatever I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've at this point kind of done the same thing. And I almost, I did, I started doing this when I was a service provider as well, just making Friday pretty much a blank slate day so that even if there's something I can't get to in the middle of the week, I can push it to Friday. Or if it's a good week, then I have an extra day off on the weekend, which is always mm-hmm. nice. And I also think it's really cool when people schedule in like 
their self-care stuff, like whatever that means to you, whether that's, you know, getting a massage or going to the chiropractor or things like that before they schedule in client work, it feels so unnatural because we're just so pushed to only have have your work ethic be like your number one thing that you're concerned about. But I think that that is like so freeing because the difference that you'll notice, even if it's subtle over time, the difference you'll notice when you do things like that and you are making yourself a priority, just domino effects into every other thing in your business. I also think that's really nice for your team as well, because I know that you've had, you know, you've outsourced and you've had a team. And I think that it's really nice for them to see someone setting an example like that, as opposed to them feeling like they can't say, hey, I need a mental health day and know that you're going to be like, okay, sure, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, well, I work with the VA, Christine, shout out Christine, um, but Oh, I know my Christine. Ca- oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's the best. But um, she has access to my Google Calendar and she sees my personal calendar is linked. And um, I do that because it essentially like blocks off meetings and um and work because she'll do like a lot of the scheduling for me and a lot of the deadlines for the projects Mm -hmm. and things and I'll she'll see that I scheduled like I have like a date on this day and so like I have to sign off by five or uh, I'm going to the gym between this and this hour so like um and that's like a hard I I schedule them as if they are appointments like I schedule these things I even schedule like my afternoon walks I'll schedule my pottery sessions I schedule all my brunches and my dinners because I consider them like non-negotiable like like conflicts um and that has helped me a lot because I used to be like oh I have a lot of work today I'm just not going to go to the gym or I'm just not going to go for a walk because I'm like slammed but for me it's like the negotiable thing is the deadline not the not my actual physical health so that's been really helpful too um and like having my VA on that calendar to see mm-hmm. that I'm engaging in these personal care things has been also reinforcing. Cause it's like, it's not just me that's like validating these events. It's also my VA that's validating them, which is great. So that's another tip is just like schedule your personal engagements as if they're like business engagements and treat yeah. them with the same level of gravity. Cause mm-hmm. um, they, they are, they do have the same level of gravity. We just don't really like think about them that way. I know it's so difficult to it's it's I saw like a TikTok or something of course that was talking about this <laughs> but how it's so important to learn to respect yourself enough that you are as committed to yourself and the things that help you as you are committed to other people because uh, when we have calls when we have uh, you know podcasts when we have things like that we're like okay yeah I have to be here and we do whatever we can to make it work but it's so easy to be like, oh, I don't need to go to this workout today. I can I can just push that to another day. So mm-hmm. I love that idea too. Um, and with it kind of starting to grow like a following on you know Instagram and have people who are really inspired by you and are looking up to you and over time kind of getting deeper and deeper into owning your own business, have you noticed any like new things that have come up with your mental health that maybe you didn't deal with before all of those things were a factor in your life? Yeah, I think um, early on, a lot of the mental health issues were with burnout. Like I didn't know how to balance. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to set boundaries, but now I feel like I've really mastered that. Like not mastered, but I I feel really confident in my ability to like balance, to cut things off. Um, Confrontation used to be a big anxiety 
thing for me. Talking about money yeah. was a big thing. And I think I've moved past all of those. But the phase that I'm in now, um, I have a lot of anxiety with regards to like, this sounds weird, but like my reputation and like my image and like the the sustainability of my business. Um, yeah. More like looming things. Because um, now that it's my following is a bit bigger and I have like, maybe like a brand, whereas before it was kind of just like an account, I do get nervous. Not that I like think I'm doing anything that's going to ruin my reputation, but Mm -hmm. I just get worried that like, oh, if I have a conflict with the client that like maybe they will be very vocal about it and things will be misconstrued or maybe like Mm -hmm. if someone and I online had a tiff about something small, like they could go public about it or like I just – not that I'm in conflict a lot, but things happen between people. Um, and I always get nervous now that because my reputation and my brand presence is like such a big part of like the sustainability of my business, I do get worried about that. Also, I am like, I'm not a teenager, but I'm like 22, right? And I'm <laughs> gallivanting around the city and people might know my personal accounts and things like that. And I just, yeah. it's a lot of weight to take on when the weight, like the future of my business kind of rests on like me completely. Yeah, it's a lot of, and then so mentally that's been a bit daunting. But um, and I'm sure a lot of other people feel this way who are like influencers. I'm not an influencer by any chance, but like yeah. I do have some friends who do content creation. And it's kind of like it's weird when you are kind of like the product being sold. You have to like think of yourself to be presented in a way at all times, mm-hmm. and that's really interesting. Um, something I wasn't aware of or didn't think of, and then also like the fact everyone always asks me like, what's next for the studio? Like, what are, what are your plans? Like, and, and that's a really scary question because I'm trying to think about like my career, my life, like how I'm going to afford my lifestyle for the next 40, 50 years of my life. And, um, so it feels like I can't even enjoy the now I'm constantly thinking about like what's next or how, what I'm doing now is going to prepare for what's next. Um, so my eyes are like in the sky and I'm always having to remind myself to like look ahead but look also look down. So those are like the new issues that I've come come across, but I'm sure there'll be new ones you know, in the far future. But yeah. I think it's always going to be something that comes up. Yeah, it's I agree and resonate with literally every single point that you brought up. I I honestly don't know how people are influencers or like have millions and millions of followers because I feel like it is terrifying to be in the online space sometimes. Like, wow, like if we're just being totally honest about it, it's amazing in so many ways. But it's also, like you said, it's scary. And like to think about your reputation, even if you feel like you're a really good person and you're trying to always like educate yourself on things and be knowledgeable and do the right thing, it, you just never know. And it's really hard sometimes too because – it's like texting communication on social media is different and you can be taken in the wrong way so many times. And I think that is also something that's, that's really scary too. Um, And it's difficult. And like you said, you're working closely with so many people to, and you have these expectations that are placed upon you. You just never know. I don't know. I always have this fear and it's probably so silly and like has to do with, you know, some kind of childhood thing, but I'm always afraid of like, oh my God, are people talking about me? Like, did I say something wrong? And I didn't know that I said it wrong and they're talking about it now and think I'm a bad person. But it's, I think it's interesting because I think that people think once you hit a certain point in your business that you are like, you got it figured out, you're super confident and you, because you're maybe successful financially that you just are good and you're not worried about those things. 
But I think it's almost like more challenging once you become more successful than it is when you're just kind of trying to grind to get it going in the first place. Yeah, I think it's like you have a lot more to lose and a lot more ways to lose it. I feel like when right. you're at that place, I'm the same way though. I'm always thinking that people secretly hate me and that like, yeah, you know, this is all just gonna fall in like really in like a couple weeks. Uh, I'm the same exact way, and like I used to, um, I used to create a lot of graphics and posts about like political events and like social justice mm-hmm. things. That was a big part of I think my visibility at a certain moment. Um, but then it became, I got so anxious about like, what if I say anything wrong yeah. on these posts that are supposed to be informative? Like I'm doing my research, but like I can't always verify the validity of these resources or like I'm trying my best to phrase them the best way. But, um, and it was giving almost too much, gave me too much anxiety to create these posts anymore. Yeah. And then I started getting messages that was like, Oh, you just created these posts, you know, for clout. Like you never actually cared about them because you stopped making them. So it's like, people are always going to say what they want to say and people yeah. are always going to think what they want to think. Um, and it's like hard to just tell yourself that like, Oh, I know the reason why I do and don't yeah. do things. But I'm the same way. Like, if you're a people pleaser, like I am, it's really hard navigating an online presence because you're just always hyper aware of your perception. Um, even if you have good intentions, like they can always be construed in a different way. So I think it's like, it's tough for sure. And I don't know how you do it. You have like so many followers. It's, <laughs> it's like crazy. So um, props to you for like how you navigate that too. I literally was like, it's it's also funny too I don't know if you ever feel this way I'm sure that you do but I am also like total people pleaser and I'm always afraid that like someone that knows me in real life is gonna like think that I'm uh, like showing up weird or like I don't know it's or like for for example if you're like struggling with something in real life and you like talk to someone about it and you're being really vulnerable but then you're like feeling better and you show up on social media and then you're like are they going to think that I'm just like faking it or like, I don't know. It's just, it's such a weird, it messes with your mind so much because you almost have these like two different lives, even though you're trying to show up authentically online. It's like, is it all just curated authenticity, which is like a whole other conversation, but I'm always afraid that that overlap is going to happen. And I'm like, Oh God. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I totally know what you mean. Like a bunch of friends um, follow the my design account and people from like from school follow that account and they'll bring it up to me and I'm always just kind of like they definitely seen all of my like current like my reels and my tiktoks of me like <laughs> lip syncing and they've seen me go on my stories yep. and be like hey guys like blah, blah, blah. Yep. <laughs> and um it's just funny or like I did an adobe live session and just it's just funny to think that a bunch of my like friends and family watch that and I'm just talking oh my gosh. you know and and it's it's really funny but I think it's like I don't think I never think of it as like we're being fake but I think people have to understand that like different parts of you are highlighted in different circumstances in like right. different environments and so you can't be expected to be the same exact person in every situation but I know what you mean though like I was like just crying to my to like group of friends and then like show up on my Instagram and I'm just like making TikToks, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'm having fun. I'm having a great yeah. day. <laughs> it's just like call it range. You know what I mean? That's what I have to say about it. I know. It's also it, the family thing is so funny too. Like I don't I have I've talked about it a little bit on Instagram, but I've like had a crazy relationship with my mom and like I use TikToks as like outlets for that sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then she found my TikTok and I was like 
<laughs> and now like i i'm like so scared to make something because i know i'm gonna get a call and be like uh-huh so i saw this and i know that you hate me so it's uh yeah it's it's tricky with the family thing too because you're like Ugh. it's tricky with anything like even on like my personal tiktok i made like a couple of jokes about um about like hinge and about like dating and stuff mm-hmm. and then i got a bunch of messages from people being like oh like you and your boyfriend broke up or like what happened oh, between yeah. you and your boy your ex-boyfriend or people are like people are like oh lol what oh like one of the guys that i was dating like or am dating he like saw one of my tiktoks about oh, it and no! like <laughs> yeah i like a really funny way um but I, I, I think at this point I'm like shameless and I don't really care. Yeah. But it is, it was a funny situation for sure. And he was like, "Oh, he sent my own TikTok to me, <laughs> and he, just with the words LOL." And I was like, "It's funny, right?" <laughs> but say, so saying, was it lowercase LOL? No, no, it was like all uppercase. So okay, he, I, I was going to say <laughs> lowercase LOL and haha. So I was like. Okay, well, I yeah. really messed up this time. <laughs> no, it was uppercase, so I think there was some in, like enthusiasm and amusement there, but that's always a funny thing. <laughs> I know. I see like the. I always see like these viral TikToks, and then like a couple days later, they'll comment and be like, "They found it." Or, like, oh yeah, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" I or they'll stitch it or something. Yeah, it's so yeah. funny. It's it's so crazy, but I it is it is really fun though because I think it's cool to be able to show that side of your personality and have that as an outlet. But yeah, it's definitely scary. And then it's there's also always the element of like, and I'm sure you felt this as your team has started to grow too, of like, oh, now I have like other people's livelihoods relying on me, like part of their livelihoods relying on me, and that mm-hmm. is, I think brings on such an element of like pressure and stress that you never anticipated. Like you don't think about that when you first start, you're like, Oh, I'm, this is going to be awesome when I can hire people to help me out. And then when you're in it, you're like, Oh boy, I have people relying on me now that are literally like taking care of themselves with what I'm paying them, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also like, um, since I've started doing like mentorship and like my design course and stuff, I was thinking that like what I put in these courses and my, in my resources and materials directly impact people's ability to like take their investment in me and like turn it into their own careers and profits. And and it puts a lot of pressure, right? I felt a lot of pressure, like making like the perfect course or like teaching everything perfectly and like um, because I wanted to be able to say that like this money that people saved and like, and spent on my resources, yeah. you know, allowed them, you know, like turned a profit for them. It wasn't a waste. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of pressure too, knowing that like, not only are they like kind of relying on me to like teach them what they need to know, but like they spent money that they could have spent elsewhere. So that's a lot of pressure to like give them the results that they want. So I know exactly what you mean in that regard too. Yeah, it's there's just so many elements of it that you never expect whenever you are first starting out. So, but I think this is I think that's it's important to prepare yourself mentally for those things too whenever you're first starting because it's so fun owning a business, but it is really difficult. So, <laughs> yeah, but this was so much fun. I'm glad we actually got to chat face to face instead of just in the DM. I've been anxiously awaiting more dating updates so yeah. <laughs> yeah. this is so yeah. fun um, thank so, you so much for having me 
Of course. You want to, you have a podcast, the design diaries, mm-hmm. right? And uh, do you want to kind of let people know like what your availability is as far as like design work and if you're still doing your design training and stuff like that too? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm pretty wide open for like end of April, May, and then like all into the summer. Um, so I offer, like I said earlier, branding services, but also we do like web and social media stuff too. Um, and then my podcast, The Design Diaries, is kind of like the intermix between um, my Instagram content and like you know resources. So I give tips for creatives and business owners, and I also have these things called diary entries where I just ramble about different things I'm going through. So mm-hmm. if you like vulnerability, if you kind of like that side of things, that's on my podcast too. Um, and then we're doing the designer summer camp again this summer. Um, I'm mm-hmm. revamping it and, and tweaking it based off of feedback from last year. And um, so yeah, that's coming out in June. So lots of exciting things happening in the next few months, which I'm really pumped about. Um, so yeah, that's thanks fun. for the little promo moment of course <laughs> how, how long is the designer summer camp it's eight weeks cool mm-hmm. that's so cute I love that you call it summer camp I yeah that. I kind of wanted to like reclaim the whole like traumatic girl scout experience <laughs> <Anybody> want, <laughs> if anyone had one like me um I wanted to like reclaim it so <laughs> that was the vibe I was you're, going for you're rebranding it <laughs> yeah 100% <laughs> and do you want to let everyone know what your um social handles are too yeah, so it's eight at ATNN Design on everything. So um, just you can find me essentially on like every platform except for Twitter using that handle. Um, and yeah, I think I talked a, bit, a little bit about it, but I do like a mixture of like resources, a mixture mm-hmm. of like funny stuff, um, random designs. So if that's your jam, you know, feel free to follow me. Um, I'm also pretty active like in the DMs. And um, yeah. if you want to join the close friend story, you can request that too. <laughs> if you want to hear about my dating life, <laughs> um, that's on my Instagram. So I haven't gotten on the Twitter train either. I like Twitter scares me even more than Instagram does. So I don't know if I'm going to venture over there. <laughs> yeah, I probably will. I don't think I'm like funny enough like, to go on there. Like Twitter is just all about like, sarcasm and like yeah I don't know I don't have the balls for Twitter but it's fun to go on there as like a anonymous consumer but I will never be a profile tweeter or anything like that yeah I feel like we we're so used to how unhinged TikTok is and then I like will once once in a while go on like um Twitter or like something on Reddit or whatever and I'm like okay (laughs) well maybe TikTok isn't the most unhinged app actually (laughs) yeah but it's actually like tame compared to like certain uh-huh. sides of Twitter. So I, uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to keep myself safe for now with uh-huh. these couple of apps. <laughs> Stay in our bubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, everyone go check out Alyssa. Thank you so much for being here and I will talk to everyone on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Digital State of Mind podcast. I am your host, Jessica Hawks, and I am so happy to have you here. Follow along with us on Instagram at the Digital State of Mind so that we can stay connected with you and get your feedback on what you want to hear on the show. I know everyone says this, but we're serious, okay? (laughs) Talk to you next time.